This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Eric Rosenberg from Personal Profitability, and when I'm not busy hustling my tuchus off, I am stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today I've decided it's time to up my station in life, put my hard-earned degree from Southwest Bahama State Technical Institute and Beauty School to work, and finally make something of myself. That's why I'm so excited to welcome to the show a guy who went from just over $2 in his bank account to a millionaire in under 10 years, Grant Sabatier. Plus, in our headline segment, a new study shows that the fire movement might not be what you think it is. Here with the findings, we welcome a guy you see often on CNBC from TD Ameritrade, J.J. Kinahan. We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener, pick out a letter from the mailbag, and still have time for my trivia. And now, two guys who should seriously consider using their degrees a little bit better than they have, know what I mean? It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G! Yeah, when I got that degree... Who knew that uh, podcasting was going to be a thing? Oh, I thought he was talking about like degree antiperspirant. Oh, good point. You could use that better, by the way. Oh, just saying. Nice. I set I set that one up totally. <laughs> just a little. Hey, everybody! Welcome to uh, Showering for the Win podcast. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and across from me, the guy who actually smells delightful. I. <laughs> it's fantastic. Thank you. I, maybe or maybe not. It's uh, Mr. OG. It's my new uh, essence. It's called the OG. Could you see that being marketed? That would be awesome. Oh, it might get marketed, actually. Trademark. Trademark. I put TM next to it. It's mine. Mine forever. I can, just, I can just hear, hear the person like with it available at Nordstrom at the end of the commercial. <laughs> yeah. The strong scent of sarcasm. <laughs> get your free luxury travel kit. With purchase today. The thrilling animal smell of bluntness. 
I don't, I don't know. Is it, would it be bloodless of, of direct feedback on your question <laughs> to the Haven <laughs> lifeline? It's OG. Yeah. And there's pictures of like deer in the woods, like <laughs> running, running some, yeah, from some hunter, some like <laughs> Fabio looking hunter without a shirt on. <laughs> well, you, obviously. You, yeah. You can't have the shirt. I mean, come on. Do you know why Fabio has looked like one one little streak of camo paint <laughs> underneath my eyes? Do you know why Fabio has looked so good? I'm pretty sure you're going to tell me in a second. It's, it's it's probably because he uses Omax Three Ultra Pure. Thanks to Omax Health for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Omax Three Ultra Pure is the purest omega three supplement on the market. And when you visit tryomax.com/sb, they'll send you a free box of Omax Three Ultra Pure with your first purchase. Tryomax.com forward slash SB just actually took mine before we started recording. Thanks also to Audible and the new Audible original Power Moves for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Power Moves by Adam Grant is available and you can get it for free when you sign up for a free Audible trial at audible.com slash SB Power or text SB Power to 500 500. We've got Grant Sabatier coming down to the basement. This guy had $2 in his bank account at one point, and then he lived and breathed. And I love these interviews with people that live and breathe financial success. He's written a proven path to all the money that you will ever, ever need. And guess who wrote the forward? One, Vicki Robin. Yeah, heard of her. How about that? Grant is slightly, gets slightly excited about financial freedom. Like- he kind of likes his message. He 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 kind of he kind of lives it. Yeah. Okay. But we got JJ Kinahan who we're going to have on uh Dad Shortwave, but first we got another headline, so let's get the party started. Hello darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. So hypothetically, let's say you run a brokerage firm that has been the butt of a bunch of jokes for the past, I don't know, few years. Okay. And uh, uh, what is Wells Fargo? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> oh, that wasn't that wasn't what we were trying to guess. But go ahead. No, you go ahead. You know, there's that whole thing about know thyself and know the way. Like, how do other people feel about you? Just kidding. There's lots of great people at Wells Fargo. No, I'm sure there is. I'm just saying you need to know yourself a little bit. Listen to this. This is uh, written by Bruce Kelly at Investment News. Wells Fargo to implement new fee on advisory accounts. Oh, definitely. The charge Smart will idea. the charge will equal about five hundred and ninety dollars on an account with a million in advisory assets and could be offset by revenue sharing from mutual funds. Ah. Oh boy. There there is a ton. There's skate where the puck is going. <laughs> definitely. Definitely doing the right thing there. What are they trying to do? I don't know. You already have such a horrible reputation. <laughs> and we're gonna do one of these. That's like American going, we're gonna start charging for the bathroom. On the airplane. Yeah. But you can reserve it in advance. (laughs) For 50 bucks. As long as you you promise to only occupy it for a certain amount of time, then we'll waive the bathroom fee. Um, Yeah. You can get an all bathroom pass. And I'm going to, I'm going to read this in a second, but, but sir, $600, $590 on a million dollar account. Seriously. Rounding error. Yeah. Not the biggest fee, but, but these, but these, the negative press you get with a little yeah. baloney fee. Anyway. Well, and you contrast that against the press that Fidelity got with their their right. specifically 
designed loss leader, right? The, the people from Fidelity are like, yeah, we know we're giving this away for free and we know it's going to lead to more business for us because people are going to get in our environment and then use our stuff that isn't free sometimes. Look at all the opposite press that Fidelity got when they went, yeah, we're going to do all this for free from now on. Well, just for these things, but this is free. M1 Finance, same thing. Oh, yep. M1 Finance, same exact thing. And what's funny is, as you and I know, the difference between what people were paying on that account elsewhere versus free was nothing. Right. Was nothing. And yet people, oh, free. Uh. Uh-huh. Anyways, okay, and, and, let's hear about how great Wells Fargo strategy is. Yeah. Wells Fargo Advisors is hitting clients with a new annual fee on advisory accounts. It's roughly six basis points, equal to $590 per year on the average client with a million dollars in advisory assets, according to a memo sent to the firm's advisors this week. The new fee applies to all advisory accounts. However, clients could receive a rebate based on revenue sharing from mutual funds that could offset the new fee or even provide a net credit, according to the memo, a copy of which was obtained by Investment News. Okay, I want to stop right there because if this works the way that it used to work back in the day, and you got to tell me more about this, OG, Wells Fargo has a list of mutual funds with which they have more revenue sharing than others. Right. I sit down with my client. If I'm a Wells Fargo advisor, you can pick from this list, which Mm -hmm. case you'll get almost a $600 fee. Or if you choose from this list, you avoid the $600 fee and might even get a credit because of the fact that these people over here are giving us a bunch more money to hawk their stuff. Is that true? Is that what we're talking about? That is a pretty descriptive and accurate Example of how that works. Yep. Wells Fargo Advisors receives revenue from several areas. Those include advisory fees, minus the payout to brokers and financial advisors, and some investment management programs that charge administrative or management fees. This is where you can tell that it's bean counters in charge. Quote, the fee support services we provide to maintain the platform for all advisory accounts, including technology and record keeping services provided to mutual funds available on our advisory platform, according to the memo. Similar approaches have recently been implemented by some competitor firms. Like mom says, just because everybody else is doing it. So they, they look for cover. Everybody else is, hey, other places are doing it. And the fee support services we provide to maintain the platform for all advisory accounts, including technology and record keeping services provided to mutual funds available. That It says nothing. That's a bunch of... Well, you know, again, I don't know how this passes the strategic leadership team, you know, across the desk of the CEO, chief operating officer, the board of directors, the internal advisory councils, because every firm has this stuff, right? All these different layers of people that they run ideas by. Go, here's one. I got one. Okay, hold on. We're in the midst of a PR crisis. <laughs> hold, hold on, guys. I got a good one. We're losing money like crazy. Advisors are fleeing. Clients are leaving. Here's what we need to do. Charge everybody 600 bucks per account. Boom. Problem solved. It's going to go over great. And nobody went, yeah, Bill, that sounds like a great idea. I, I mean, I get the math, but... I have a feeling that it's not going to go over very good in the press if, or with our advisors or with our clients. Because what if you think about it from the advisor perspective, you just got handed an email that says, oh, hey, by the way, we're going to hit your clients with a $600 charge next month. Oh, get this. The new fee, very next words in this piece, the new fee, which will be charged each quarter, will 
not be shared with financial advisors, according to the memo. So you just yeah. get this memo. Hey, we're yeah. charging your people uh, $600 more. And uh, by yeah. the way, uh, good luck. We just made it harder for you to market our firm that already has a PR problem. Yeah. But if you get them to move all their stuff into this stuff over here, then you're okay. If, if you make it look like we're even more non-fiduciary, <laughs> it'll, there a word for that? it'll work out better for everybody. Yeah. That's a bummer. So if you're an advisor at Wells Fargo and you need an exit strategy, <laughs> you're listening to this, I can help you with it. Oh, gee, it's stacking measurements. <laughs> Two paragraphs down, the fee increase comes at a time when the firm's continuing to lose brokers and report a decline in revenue. This month, Wells Fargo and Company reported total revenue of slightly less than $4 billion at its Wealth and Investment Management Group for the fourth quarter. By the way, revenue for people that uh, don't know what these terms mean, that's just money coming in the front door. That's not profit. So $4 billion. And everybody knows you can't live on $4 billion. That represented a decline of 376 million or 9% compared with a year ago. So they're down 9%. Let's raise fees. Mm -hmm. What could possibly go wrong? And in our second headline, new research from TD Ameritrade, which includes a survey of 1,500 U.S. adults age 45 and older with at least 250,000 investable assets, debunks common myths about the fire movement. Also, shines a light on other realities surrounding the growing retirement movement. And here, the man himself, I see him all the time on CNBC. Now we have him on my dad shortwave from TD Ameritrade. It's our new friend, JJ Kinahan. How are you, man? I'm good, Joe. I'll tell you, I've done interviews from a lot worse places than a shortwave. So it's a, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. But this idea, this financial independence retire early movement, Based on your study, JJ, I think about uh, the movie Princess Bride, and to misquote that movie, the term fire might not mean what you think it means. <laughs> well, uh, I hadn't put that one together before, but I like that, Joe. <laughs> As you said, it's financial independence, retire early. And I think the, the main point that we hope people get out of this and what our survey really showed is it's truly about the FI, the financial independence. Because what the financial independence allows you to do is choose if you want to retire early or not. And in our survey, one of the things we found is those people who do achieve financial independence actually generally tend to keep working for the next five years because you get in a situation where it becomes more than a job. It becomes a little bit of a passion and, again, allows you to control your own destiny. And while living on less, JJ, and being frugal can be a part of financial independence, you guys show that it doesn't have to be. No, it really doesn't. What it really comes down to thinking about investing and investing perhaps in a smarter way that is really the power of dividends, which leads to the power of compounded interest along with some smart choices on your stocks, et cetera, really is how most people tend to get there, throwing perhaps some real estate and rental income, et cetera. And it's really a holistic picture. Now, does this mean that you don't have to maybe watch your spending a little bit. Listen, I think anybody who's achieved financial independence in a longer-term situation has done so because they don't have to have the fanciest car. They don't have to have the fanciest house. They make smart choices of quality products, but more importantly, they combine that with a really intelligent investing plan. You and I have been in the vesting community for quite a long time, JJ, and 
Do you think it's as exciting as I do to see these people, a lot of them young people, just saying right from the beginning, I want to take control. I want to become an investor at an early age, and I want to kind of chart my own course? Joe, nothing excites me more. You know, we hear all the time how millennials don't have an interest in a market or in investing, et cetera. And actually, my experience tells me that's not necessarily true. I think people do have an interest, but perhaps their exposure to it has been in a negative point of view. When you start to point out to people, listen, there is a way you can put yourself in a very nice financially independent situation as your life progresses. People have a very great interest in it. And, you know, Albert Einstein, I believe, called uh, compound interest one of the greatest miracles of the world or one of the wonders of the world. So I'm, I'm going to misquote someone just to get on the bandwagon with you, Joe. <laughs> I think with that, it really helps people to see what they can achieve over a long period of time. It's great. And the greatest advice I think I've ever given to anybody is start as young as you can in terms of just saving some money. And once you get that first job, the 401k plan, if you have a company that matches, if you don't maximize that, it's the stupidest thing you're doing in terms of a future plan. Maximize that contribution. If you do nothing but that, you can say, wow, I'm making a good choice for myself and for my family's future. Well, to your point, JJ, while a lot of people that they talk about the fire movement talk about being more frugal, you say that it's a lot, it still has a lot to do with becoming a better investor. And with this market shake that we had in the fourth quarter, what are some things that people aspiring to fire have to remember when the market starts getting a little, a little uh, tenuous, let's say? The first thing you have to embrace is the fact that, yes, this has been a very volatile period in terms of what we've seen over the last five years. But if you look at the market historically, as measured by the VIX, which measures volatility in the market from the CBOE, uh, we're actually at sort of an average volatility. The market does go up and down, although many people haven't experienced that down recently. That all said, the biggest thing you can do is have a plan. Have some stocks that you like, and most importantly, what is your time frame on these stocks? People who are in the fire movement, you know, having met many of them, one of the things I really like is they talk about having a time frame in mind, and none of them say it's going to happen overnight. They set out on a plan and say, I'm going to save this much money. I'm going to invest in these stocks. I'm going to hold them for this time period. And I think that starting there, really helps you. One of the mistakes I see investors make all the time is they say, I'm going to buy this stock and I'm going to get out when it goes to this price. That's wonderful. But also having a time frame in mind and saying, I plan on holding it for two years or three years, unless something fundamental about the company changes. And the other thing, I think one of the greatest pieces of advice that was given to me when I first started many years ago, and I always try to give to everybody is, don't think of investing as an all or none. What I mean by that, Joe, is if you invest some of the price level, save the rest. So if we come down and you still like those same companies, you can buy more at a lower price. And then, you know, a third tranche, perhaps at a lower price than that. Too many investors think of the world as all or none. And by the way, that not only goes for buying, that also goes for selling. Most professionals and You know, I was a professional options trader on on the trading floor for 21 years. And the one thing I know about professionals is they think of the world as a partial. They never think of it as all or none because they realize that 
movement means opportunity rather than a time to panic. And knowing your upside and knowing your downside helps you on both ways. And also having a plan keeps you from panicking. You were an options trader and you still have a nice head of hair, JJ. How did that work? <laughs> well, uh, you know, genetics is the strongest <laughs> thing that can happen to you, Joe. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, so I'm the youngest of eight kids, so I've been beaten up my whole life. So that really didn't bother me. <laughs> I'm only a podcaster and I don't know where my hair went. Uh, you guys at, at TD Ameritrade, <laughs> your team over there, JJ, you guys have, uh, I know, suites of tools that people can use to help them out with their investing. Where did they go to get more? Yeah, thank you very much, Joe. You know, we, we have so many great people here who do a great job every day. TDAmeritrade.com, whatever you would need, not only from tools to invest, but just as even more importantly, perhaps, tools to get educated. Because I think the first step in, in investing is really getting some education rather than just going out and saying, oh, I'm going to try this, whatever. There's a balance, of course, to analyzation, paralyzation, as I'll call it. Right. But not having basics of education is going to cost you. So please go and get a little bit educated about the market, et cetera. If you're not comfortable, when you start, start really, really small. I know I'm with a broker term. I should say spend all your money. But honestly, we want to have you as a client for a long, long time. The easiest thing in the world to do is to become a bigger investor. One of the hardest things to do is to lose a lot of money right away and try and make it up. So please, please start very, very small. You can always become a bigger trader. And again, that's one of the things we stress on our education at tdameritrade.com. JJ Kinahan, Chief Market Strategist for TD Ameritrade. Thanks, man, for hanging out with us for a few minutes today. Joe, it was fun to be on the shortwave radio. Really a great time. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks again to JJ Kinahan for hanging out with us for a few minutes. You know, it's funny. Retiring early is a personal power move, isn't it? But it's not about what you think it's about. And a lot of the power that you see at Davos and when business leaders get together isn't what you think it is. In fact, it's funny being a guy who's been away from Detroit for a decade, just looking at the type of power that somebody like uh, Mary Barra has at General Motors and uh, very effectively wields that too. And it's about time somebody at GM doing that. But Power Moves by New York Times bestselling author Adam Grant is available on Audible. You get it for free when you sign up for a free Audible trial at audible.com slash sbpower or text sbpower to 500-500. In Power Moves, Adam, who is such a great writer and digs into, this guy does tons of research, digs into the concept of power when he interviews two dozen major CEOs and leaders to talk about how power is changing today and the best ways to use it effectively. And you're going to hear not just from Mary Barra at uh, GM here in Detroit, but also insights from leaders like Sheryl Sandberg at Facebook, Satya Nadala at uh, Microsoft, where my son works, and David Solomon at Goldman Sachs. In a time of shifting norms and increasing distrust in institutions, Power Moves offers lessons of hope and true stories about how to create positive change. Adam Grant's so good at getting the meat of the situation and really is, is I think, one of the top people at being able to find the heartbeat when it comes to wielding power in America. In fact, if you just go listen to the sample chapters, you'll hear exactly what I'm talking about. Power Moves by Adam Grant is available now on Audible. Get it for free when you sign up for a free Audible trial at audible.com slash sbpower 
or text SB Power at 500, 500. We usually have just SB, but I like this SB Power. Makes me feel powerful. That's audible.com slash SB Power. You know, there is a sea change, OG, where I feel like when I started doing media back in the late 90s, early 2000s, all of the advice and people on the radio, whatever, were talking about, you know, being defensive and not letting consumerism enter your life or not letting consumerism run the day like, you know, how to clip the right coupons or how to how to navigate yeah. how to navigate the sales pages. And now I love this idea of rejecting all that and deciding, hey, what's best for me? And start there. Like this idea that we've been preaching for a long time, a begin with the end in mind about start with your plan. And everybody just goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's boring. All of a sudden, that's finally made it, finally made it to the mainstream with the uh, idea of financial independence. Well, I think it's really important from a financial independence standpoint to actually know what you're trying to get to. That nebulous goal of someday, somehow, I want to have enough money to not have to do this anymore. It's really important to quantify what that is. And a lot of times that number is so big and it's so far away that that you look at it and you go, $3 million? Yeah, okay. I might as well just not even try. But then you start dialing dialing back the time frame and you start playing with the assumptions that you have and you realize, oh, well, that's $1,500 a month for the next 20 years or whatever the math works out to be. You still can't have this $3 million goal or maybe you can kind of have that in the back of your mind. But I think you need a goal for 12 months from now. I think you need to go in 36 months from now that you just go, okay, well, I'm not going to worry about how to drive my car from New York City to LA. I'm going to try to get from New York City to Philadelphia. That's the thing I need to focus on right now. And once I get to Philadelphia, then I can worry about where I want to go then. Right. Instead of worrying about all the financial independence, I'm going to pay off one of my student loans. Yeah. I've got to build my cash reserve or I want to max out my Roth IRA this year or whatever the case may be. Give yourself the step-by-step plan and... Say, okay, what do I have to do in the next 12 months? It's really amazing. I heard this quote a couple of weeks ago, and I've heard it before, so I don't know who said it originally, but we vastly overestimate the amount of stuff we can get done in the next 12 months and vastly underestimate the stuff we can get in over the next 20 years. I think because that, we can't understand compounding. Yeah. It's it's a it's a mental construct that we can't figure out in our brains. So our little monkey brains that we have. <laughs> so give yourself little steps along the way. And go, here's here's what I'm doing this year. And be okay with it. I think that's definitely lesson number one. And lesson number two from our first headline. When uh there's an opening in the strategy department at Wells Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of openings. That's our lesson. <laughs> Unsolicited resumes can be sent to the CEO. <laughs> Grant Sabatier is a guy that I've I've been in the same room with probably, I'm going to say about 20 times and have never talked to one-on-one until, well, until now. He was very intimidating. (laughs) Do you remember, you and I actually met him for the first time together at FinCon. We were, we were at an event. We are talking to Jonathan Mendonza from Choose FI. Choose FI. Remember? And Grant was talking to Chris Costello from Bloom, standing right next to us. Remember that? Yeah. Grant Sabatier called the Millennial Millionaire by CNBC. He's the founder of MillennialMoney.com. 
where he writes about personal finance, investing, and entrepreneurship, and he hosts the Financial Freedom Podcast. Graduated from the University of Chicago, and he's been featured, well, he's been featured everywhere. But you know what? His biggest moment is that- It's about to, sh- it's about to show up right now, <laughs> it isn't it? It's coming right now. Grant Sabatier coming down to the basement. And walking down the stairs to the basement, it's my new friend, Grant Sabatier. How are you, man? What's up, man? It's great to be in the basement. I've been wanting to come here for so long. We have been waiting for you. Like, seriously, mom's got the cookies ready. Well, you you, you had them. And we are just so thrilled that you're here. And the reason is, is that we're kind of like, you know, blood brothers in a way. We work out of mom's basement. You lived with your parents in your 20s. You were the boomerang kid. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, was living with my parents when I was 24 years old, literally sleeping in the same bed that I was sleeping in when I was seven. What did they think? They basically told me that I could stay there for three months and they weren't going to give me any money. They were very supportive, but I could see in their eyes that they were very worried, very concerned, wondering what was actually going on. So it was one of those things where I could very easily see that they were concerned. They also said I could only crash there for three months and they weren't going to give me a dime. You know, this is a time when a lot of millennials were moving back home with their parents and the pervasive narrative was like, you know, don't give your kids any money because they're going to stick around forever. And so they were very much like no money, three months. They ended up letting me stay a little bit longer than that, but you know, maybe a couple weeks. I do not know if they would have actually kicked me out. They must have, though, Grant, if they thought that, or if they said that, they volunteered that information at the start, they must have thought you were going to be a leech. Oh, I don't know if they thought I was going to be a leech. I think they just were setting a really hard boundary for me and even for themselves. You know, they know I'd worked hard, but they were concerned because I'd bounced around four jobs by the time I was 24. I was broke. And I, you know, I had got a good education. I graduated number two in my high school class. Like I wasn't ever kind of a lackey. And they're kind of like, what's what's really going on here? It was almost like they were sniffing under the surface to be like, is there more here than meets the eye? And I'd sent out over 200 resumes and hadn't gotten a single call back. And I told them that. And so they were like, uh-oh, was that education not worth it? You know, what's what's the deal here? You did something that was the opposite then of what I see most people do. I've read about people who wanted to drive a Ferrari. So they put a Ferrari on the mirror in front of them or they want to own a really nice house. So they put a nice house on the mirror and they see it when they brush their teeth in the morning. They see it when they brush their teeth at night. What'd you do? You snapped a picture or you printed out your bank statement to show just how bad it really was? Yeah. August, 2010, I was like broke, meaning I maybe had like three or $400 when I moved back in with my parents. So I just didn't have enough to pay rent. And I woke up one morning and I really wanted a Chipotle burrito and money, you know, didn't have any money. It was one of those things I wasn't, pay- you know, I didn't want to look at. And it was finally everything came to the end where I looked on my phone that morning and saw $2 and 26 cents in my bank account. So I actually got on my computer and opened the account and took a screenshot and immediately printed it. So I went down to my mom's office and pulled it off the printer because I wanted to remember that feeling. And the actual original printout I still have, and it still hangs in my closet. And that's one of the reasons I put it in the book. I was going to say the actual screenshots in your book. 
Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that was the low, that was the starting point. And I look at it every day still. And I was like, I never want to feel this. I want to remember this feeling. This is my starting point. Um, you know, it's like kind of the before and after pictures maybe you take when you're losing weight, still trying to lose the weight, but I, (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, you know, it's, it's just like that. And, um, you know, it's interesting as I have that on millennial money and I encourage people when they're starting their journey, blank out your information, but send me your screenshot. And I have thousands of them That's awesome. starting their journey and they send them to me and they're like, I'm negative, but I'm inspired. I'm ready to go. And who knew that I would have some use for that? You know, I love the, the I love the naked honesty, though, because, as you know, everybody thinks that people that write financial books have been great with money all the time. I mean, you have in the screenshot, you have a savings account that says do not touch that you have clearly touched. <laughs> That's true. I had one cent left in that. So you can tell I wasn't doing too hot. Uh <laughs> How did you, because in a very short period of time, then you went from that to being a millionaire before you were 30. We won't get into the entire thing because I really want to focus on one chapter of your book, which is about slashing expenses, which is something everybody here can do to some degree. And I thought we'd dive into that, but just very briefly, how did you make the turn? Yeah. So it ended up taking me five years, three months and six days from that day of that screenshot to go from the $2.26 to $1.25 million. That was literally all I did. Like people are like, how'd you do this in five years? And I was like, it's literally all I did. Like I wasn't hanging out with my friends, going out for beers or going to sports games. Like if you were my friend and you wanted to hang out with me, we were making money. That's like how we were hanging out. So I ended up getting out of my parents by, I did a simple Google search. Two Google searches basically changed my life. The first one was Best Money Books. And the two first books that came up were Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. And the second one was Automatic Millionaire by David Bach. So I ordered both of them. And because Vicki was first, I read it first. I mean, that's just the way the universe works. And that book just completely changed my life. It was a life philosophy. It wasn't just a money philosophy. The idea of trading your life energy for money just blew my I was like okay I my takeaway actually is very different than Vicky wanted the takeaway to be because I was like okay if I'm trading my life energy for money I need to make as much money as possible for my time <laughs> in as little time as possible and she's like I wrote the book for social activists so that they could free up their time I didn't make it for dudes to you know go out and make a million dollars in 5 years I was like well you know So that was my takeaway. And then the second Google search that I did, I was searching for something random. And actually, I saw a Google mobile ad. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a Google mobile ad. And I was like, what's this thing? And so I literally Googled Google mobile ads. And then I saw an article that was by eMarketer. And it was like, jobs for digital marketing managers running Google campaigns are projected to grow 300% by 2020. And I was like, oh, whoa, here's a, here's like, I didn't know anything about that industry. Okay. So here's an industry that's growing. And then the second link was Google AdWords University is what it was called at the time. And I watched a three minute introduction to Google ads video. And then right next to it, it was like, get certified for free, take our free certification exam. So I was like, whoa, so I can maybe learn how to do this. And then Google will certify me. So the next 30 days, I went through all the AdWords University videos. I really, really overprepared. I watched like other videos on YouTube, took the exam, got certified, really kind of fell in love with the idea of Google Ads. 
fell more in love with the idea that you could get 20% of media spend. So if I could get someone to spend a million dollars on ads, like a company, I would make $200,000. And I got certified. And then the first job I applied to at a digital agency in Chicago, I got the job. And I was off to the races making $50,000 as my starting salary. And it was really an incredible opportunity. I spent time with the SEO and the web guys and the CEO. The CEO was 30, so I was 24, making 50K. The CEO of this 25-person company was 30, and I was like, dude, if he can do it, I can do it. He was such a nice guy. The culture was awesome. I learned so much from everyone there. And then by the end of that year, I was making $300,000 because I was doing what my agency was doing, but for companies and people that couldn't afford our agency fees. So I saw an opportunity in the market to not service people who needed $100,000 websites, but maybe people who needed like $30,000, $50,000 websites and Google campaigns. And so then I launched my own agency. And then a year later, I partnered up with two guys and launched another agency. And so I grew my agencies. The entire time, I was saving 82% of my income, driving an $800 car, living in the crappiest apartment you could imagine. And this is the thing. I didn't actually, I loved living differently than most people. I didn't discover another financial independence person till two and a half years in. Two and a half years in, you know, I'd saved well over a half a million dollars. And then I just Googled financial independence. I don't know why it took me so long to Google this, <laughs> probably because I was just making money and, and reading about money. But then I found Mad Scientist. And I was like, I read every single thing Brandon had written. And I was like, whoa, there's someone else doing this. Like I was like in a forest <laughs> by myself, like living differently than everybody. And then I found Pete, uh, Mr. Money Mustache, and a few others. But it was still a 2012, 2013, very, very small group of people. And that accelerated everything because I wasn't optimizing my tax situation until then. And then it was that was the game changer. And so that was the inflection point. I got in to get out. I mean, once I grew my companies, you know, one company I had over 25 employees, I was spending so much time managing the company. I didn't enjoy it anymore. Once I hit my number, it took me about a year and a half to unpack everything and also learn how to walk away from two businesses that I'd built and all the emotions around that. Launched Millennial Money 2015, right after I became financially independent, started writing about it. A year into writing Millennial Money, it started to get a little more popular. And I got an email in November 2016 that was, Grant, you saved my life. You changed my life. I saved $13,000 this year. And my husband and I got out of debt. Like, I just want to say thank you from my family and on behalf of your readers. Keep going. And that email, man, it filled me with a level of joy that was like, so far beyond any dollar that I'd ever made in my life. And I was someone who, if you would ask me what's your purpose in life or what's your why or what makes you happy, those questions always really stressed me out because I'd never knew. And I was always like, why can't I find what my purpose is? And I had to stop chasing my purpose. And then that's when it showed up. And so, yeah, five years, three months, six days. And obviously now I write about money and teach full time and travel the world. And life's way too short to have a job that you don't like and ultimately not have time to do the things you love because money only matters if it helps you live a life you love. And that's my mission, man. There's only 87 things you said there that I want to highlight. So that's <laughs> that's it. A big one is, is it a lot of people I think that, Grant, as you know, are going to romanticize that just over five years when you went from zero to well over a million dollars. And I know you didn't say that. I just know people that have been there there's really nothing romantic about that period. Like I'm sure it was just in the dirt, 
not a ton of fun working your butt off. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's this whole idea of flow, right? I don't know if you've read the philosophy book flow where you're in the moment, things are going well, but this was damn hard work and, and friendship killing. Oh yeah. Hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, I gained over 50 pounds. I had some health issues during the process. I lost some friends, you know, I had trouble with my relationship I was addicted to making money. Yeah. I was addicted to getting out. Luckily, I had an end point in mind. You know, a lot of people don't have, they, it's just more, more, more. So I, I kind of knew what I was shooting for. But I think it was a lot of the trauma of how I grew up with money. My parents never had money growing up. They fought about it, they were stressed about it. Obviously, moving back home with my parents and, you know, all that was just like once I figured out how to make money, I was like, tr- I was running from something really, really fast. And I also, this is the big takeaway, even in writing and reflecting on the book, it took me like a year and a half afterwards to realize that that freedom that I was really craving in my life, I had so much earlier on, you know, I didn't even need the millions of dollars right. or, you know, I had it already. Yeah. That is interesting. I mean, you spend a lot of time in your book talking about your number, which is, I think, is that a fidelity commercial, your number, what's your number, but the, or prudential or some, somebody, but, but you talk a lot about your number, but then you continually talk about, no, I think your number is probably lower than you think it is. Yeah, absolutely. So your number the finance industry sells a level of precision that's unrealistic. And so how are you at you know, 25, 35, even to begin to know how much money you're going to need for the rest of your life? Because who you are, you grow and you change. And your dreams change and who you are this year is different than who you are last year. So the most important question is not how much money do I need, it's what kind of life do I want to live? And then realizing that the more expensive your life, the more money you're going to need and that you are the one that controls that. It's up to you. And so once you figure out what kind of life you want to live and you look at the things that make you happiest and all of a sudden you realize, wow, picking my kids up at school. You know, I talk to people every day now, picking my kids up at school, walking my dog, having a glass of wine with my partner, reading a book. Eight of the 10 things that I enjoy most in life are free or less than like $20. Yeah. And so I started to align my life to maximize the opportunities to do those things. And when everyone's honest with yourself, if you're like, hey, I need this $100,000 Tesla and I love cars and this is going to bring me the most joy in my life ever, great, get it. Just realize all in the book, I don't tell you what to buy or what not to buy. It's realize that everything's a trade-off. You're trading the time that you spent maybe three years working to buy that Tesla and you're also trading freedom for it in the future. So you've spent three years to make the money, and then you have to work five years longer in the future. And thinking about money in units of time as opposed to just money, you know, at the end of the day, it's all a trade-off. And you control that and realize that those things that you're really seeking in your life, if you're honest with yourself, almost every case, it's going to be less expensive than you think. And so it's about being mindful. The other two things I didn't want to, and we don't need to spend any time on these. I just want listeners to make sure that this doesn't get pushed under the rug. Number one, this idea that you that you didn't know your why right away. And I think sometimes people freak out about that. I know I certainly freaked out about that and thought, man, I'm not really hitting it. But just continually searching for it without freaking out. And sooner or later, it hits you and yours in the form of that letter. I didn't want to let that go. Then the other thing was... This underlying current that really isn't the biggest part of your your message, I don't think, 
but is certainly was a big part of your story that you just told me is a lot about mentorship, like working in the right company with the right boss and your relationship with Vicki Robin and, you know, getting to know David Bach and just this idea of aligning yourself with these people who are going in the same direction. It seems like that's been very powerful for you as well. I'm someone who I realized early on that I'm only happy when I'm growing. And for me, that means I'm only happy when I'm growing. And I have to say, I'm like bad at 98% of things in life. <laughs> I'm literally looking at an entire pile of laundry that I finished maybe four days ago that I haven't folded. That is the so me. That the is bed's so not me. made. The kitchen, I mean, there's dishes <laughs> everywhere. I don't know how to cook. But I've read 400 books about money. I've written a book about money. I've Yeah, I spend time with David Bach and Vicki Robin and Tony Robbins and these people who like – these are like real, real thinkers. And so for me to grow, I want to keep finding and learning and soaking that information up. And that's one of the things, the only thing, literally I'll go out on a limb and say the only thing that I think that I understand and I'm good at in life is, you know, I figured out money and helping people around money, but that's like anything in life. It's like, you only have so much time and so I, I'm, I've chosen that to go deep. And so from a mentorship perspective, it's about finding people who also have that vision, are also seekers, and are also really trying to both figure things out and then have pure hearts. And that's one of the things that you know Vicky and David share is they have a really big heart. And I know you have a big heart for helping people. And I think that life, like money to me has diminishing returns. And now I'm at a stage in my life where the greatest joy i get is is helping others because you know we're all here for such a brief time that everyone deserves a life that they love and so i like surrounding myself with people who also share that passion i guess a great lesson i was happy to hear by the way that you built two companies and that when you craved the chipotle burrito that there was this big burrito chipotle lawsuit money that you got and that's how you got i'm chipotle <laughs> chipotle that was a bad joke i'm just don't yeah yeah save the hate mail let's dive into this i'm already out of time we're going to be we're going to run long here because i want to dive into a few things that are about expenses because you do a great job of help well you do a great job of a lot of things in here grant but helping people slash expenses you talk about the only budget you'll ever need and you go through these big rocks that people should pay attention to. So I want to, I want to go through a few of these with you. Number one is, is in housing. You talk about, listen, if you want to, if you want to reduce your expenses, you want to save more money, housing's going to be the key. Tell me about that. Yeah. So a little quick preamble is that a lot of the personal finance industry that I saw that I grew up around tells you to budget. I've never had a budget. Budgets stress me out. They tell you to cut those small things, like whether it's the latte or the glass of wine or the concert tickets, but it's often those small things that give us the most joy in our life. And so the money world's telling us to cut out those things that make us really happy, when in reality, life is about those small things that make you happy. And where you actually save money, yeah, you could cut all those things and save 3% more of your income, but 3% more of your income, it's a start. But if you really want to move the needle and get more freedom and money and time and space in your life, you have to figure out a way to, to increase your savings rate as much as you can. And where you actually are able to save more money is in those places where you spend the most money. 
the average American spends about 70% of their income on housing, transportation, and food. And housing is one of those things where we're taught to get the nicest apartment and lux this and lux that and get a gym and all these things. But in reality, that is where you're going to save the most money. And this is something about life. Nothing is forever. And so you can live, if you move from a $1,500 a month apartment to a $700 a month apartment, yes, it might not be as nice. It might not be in as good of a neighborhood. It might not have all the perks. But just doing that for like three or four years could set you up for life. I mean, we're talking like the net impact of that is incredible or just getting a roommate for a while. You know, I talked to a lot of young couples and they're, you know, they've got these three bedroom apartments and they're like, oh, well, that's our study and that's our guest bedroom. And it's like, okay, all right, you got a laptop, work at the kitchen table, rent out that room, whether it's on Airbnb or someone, oh, well, you know, who are we going to rent it to? Rent it to someone who's older, who's less, we have kids. Okay. Someone who's older and less threatening. It's like, everyone always has an excuse for yeah. why they can't do something. Yeah. And that's where you make the money, man. Like get a three bedroom apartment, get two roommates, especially if you're young, get them to offset or cover the cost of your mortgage or your rent, live for free, house sit for a while. There's so many ways to live for free. And if you can reduce that expense, that's really one of the only things that you have to do. Like I don't have a budget now, but I just moved to New York City and my mindset is, okay, find the nicest, cheapest apartment that you can because of all the variables, that's the biggest one that you can control. And then transportation, obviously, don't buy a new car, buy used. There's so many ways to travel inexpensively, walk, bike. And then the food thing, man, the food thing is where I struggle the most because it's so easy to get carry out. You know, we're like paying massive amounts of money for convenience. But, you know, you can break it down. I helped a family recently. I said, okay, send me every single thing that you eat in a month. They're like, oh, we don't know how to save money on food. Most people really only eat 20 or 30 things in a month. Forget all that other stuff. Yes, if you want to try out different recipes, but what are those core things? And then figure out the per unit cost of each of those things. And okay, every time I make chili, it cost me $12.30 for my family and I'm going to make a little more. And you know, there's so many ways that you can save money on food. But of all the things, the housing, without a doubt. And if you just do those things and get your savings rate to like 20, 30%, then the rest of the money you're making, put it in a separate account, you know, $1,000 a month, and then just spend it however you want. You know, don't worry about it. Um, and that's the thing. Budgets, I believe, reinforce a scarcity mindset and often focus on those things that end up not moving the needle and really having as big of an impact over the long term. You do go into the weeds in some of these. I mean, in how to live rent-free when you talk about house-sitting you talk about websites like Trusted House Sitters USA, House Sitters America, House Cares, Nomador, and uh, Mind My House. You can actually buy food at Whole Foods and spend less than you would at Costco. So you can still shop where you want to shop if you do what you just mentioned and buy in bulk. I mean, it isn't so much about where you shop as how you shop. Yeah, and eat less meat, you know, more vegetables. This is the craziest. This is one last story. New York City, I was like, oh, it's going to be so expensive. New York City is by far the cheapest place to buy food that I've ever lived. I love raspberries. I almost eat them every morning. And you can buy a thing of raspberries at the grocery store for like $6. You walk like a block and a half down and there's a guy on a corner selling the exact same thing, two for $3. And it's just like walk the extra block and a half. And that's what I encourage people in New York. It's like, 
scope out the four or five block radius that you live around and walk around and look at people selling food on the corner and find the staples. Like you have to pay a 400% markup to buy a banana 10 steps away in the grocery store that this person is selling over here. It's incredible. And people do it, man. They walk in the store, they walk past the $1 raspberries and they buy the $6 and it's like, oh, well, that's like completely representative of what's wrong in our country. Right. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about Len Penzo, who always talks about the most expensive price you pay in a grocery store is when they cut your food for you. You know, like you get the watermelon pieces instead of the watermelon. (laughs) You you get the, like the price that a grocery store pays to cut your food ahead of time is enormous when there's, you know, put on some Pavarotti and cut your own food and make it romantic. Yeah. New York city. The the interesting thing is like time is people have so little time. And so that Good little point. just savings tends to be worth it. And then there's entire economies that are taking advantage of that. Um, yes. Same thing with like Uber eats and all these food delivery apps. Like one of the neighborhoods here in New York city, the most popular thing, it's something like 10,000 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are delivered through this food app every month in this one neighborhood in New York. You're like a peanut butter jelly sandwich and you're paying like 300% premium. Learn to think about money, not just as money, but in percentages and then also in time because it's that percentage thing. You might look at something you're like, oh, it's only a dollar more, but then you're like, wait, that's 40% more, you know? And like, You know, there's some cases like when you're negotiating a raise, always ask for a percentage because then your boss can't tell what they can buy with that. Like if you ask for a $10,000 raise, your boss is like, I could buy all these things with that. If you ask for, you know, a 10% raise, they can't quantify it. On the flip side, when you're actually shopping and trying to save money, looking at the percentages actually when you're comparing two products ends up being even more valuable. You know, that's why cutting food at home, it's like, okay, maybe it's worth $2, but is it worth 300%? Yeah. I mean, case in point, the discussions everybody's having right now about Netflix, right? I mean, Netflix, hey, they only raised the price uh, a couple bucks, but it's like an 18% pop over what they were charging before. And I think when you, when a company increases their rate on you 18%, you have to think, is that, am I still getting as much joy for 18, yeah. 18% more money as I was from Netflix? And for me, the answer is yes. But for a lot of people, I, you know, I think they're just taking it in stride because it's just a couple bucks, big deal. But people, a couple buck you to death. Yeah, you got to take a Netflix fast. That's one of the things that I try to do is take like 30 days off of it because actually the average American watches 5.4 hours of Netflix an evening. And so the net impact of that, you know, over an entire month, that's like 150 hours that you could spend starting your side hustle, reading, doing something else. We spend all our time stressed out at our jobs and we come at in and we check out and then we realize why we're unhappy. When you can spend those 150 hours doing things where you're learning, engaged and growing. And I love Netflix. I love it. It's meant to be loved. But anything that's meant to be loved that much, you got to be cautious of it. Five point what hours? 5.4 hours a day. Unbelievable. I mean, somebody, I'm so far below that, that there's somebody doing some serious Netflix is making up for me. Dude, that's like over a thousand hours a year. It's just, I can't, holy cow. I mean, there's, there is, there's, yeah, wow. Who, okay. Uh, the, the book is Financial Freedom. I could, you and I could talk all day. Financial Freedom, a proven path to all the money you'll ever need. Forward by this crazy woman, Vicki Robin. I say crazy uh, in a very adoring way. Uh, where do we get it, Grant? This is available everywhere, right? 
Yeah, available uh, Yeah, worldwide. Um, just search Financial Freedom on Amazon. It's the bright blue book, financialfreedombook.com. It has links to a ton of different places to buy it. Go and support your local bookseller if you can. Ask them. If they don't have it, they'll order it for you. Keep them all afloat and available on audiobook everywhere as well. So just really, really excited just to it's everything that I think, in my opinion, someone needs to know about money. I try to pack it all in one book. You know those books that are one idea and a lot of fluff? I tried to go really hard on this. You might have to yeah. read it a couple of times. No, 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 no. This is if, if somebody wants the game plan to hack your job, save money faster, cut frivolous expenses that you're not going to care about anyway, and move more toward your dream in a much more intentional way it's this is it's 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 right here nice job my friend thank you joe job well done well it's about time we got you down in the basement thanks so much for hanging out with us for a few minutes grant yeah this is great i'm gonna go grab some cookies on the way out me too (laughs) hey there trivia fans i'm joe's mom's neighbor doug and today we're gonna talk about eps You know, like every time a company reports how much money they made, they always talk about EPS. For those of you who don't know, EPS is short for Extremely Personal Snacks. That's where uh, a company bakes brownies or some other tasty morsel for all their shareholders. So when they say EPS was $1.10, that means that every, let's say, brownie they made costs $1.10 to make. The more expensive the brownies get, the better the company. Easy peasy. God, this financial stuff is a lot easier than Joe and OG make it out to be. Hey, what? Hold on, I'm doing the trivia. All right, what? No way. All right, oh, okay, all right. I got a great idea for today's trivia, folks. What does EPS really stand for? And I was just kidding about that other stuff. I, you know, you didn't believe me, did you? Totally joking. Well, thanks to Omax Health for supporting Stacking Benjamins as I find myself going to the gym nearly as many times as a rock goes to the gym, minus he goes, what, six hours a day, every day. I go about 45 minutes to an hour. Every six days. (laughs) The same thing. Once every six days. I actually go a little more often than that. Uh, Four days a week at this point. Oh my goodness. You better stop. You're going to start looking really... uh... And then run the Svelte. run the other three days. No, no, no. Did you run the last couple of days with the I had to negative find, seven thousand? I had to finally do it on a treadmill. I had to uh, I had to, I had to uh, go yeah. to the gym and do it on a treadmill. Yesterday I just okay. went there and ran two miles, pretty fast though, on a on a treadmill. Well, treadmills are like kind of downhill. Do you give your a little you, get, you gotta do the incline on the treadmill? I, I did even a out of, the yeah, a little bit of incline there. But what's really helped me with the joint pain at fifty years old? You know, Grandpa Joe is omega-3s. Let's Don't say that too many times. That might actually happen one of these days. What's that? He said the Grandpa Joe thing. You've got kids that are old enough to start oh, having kids. Oh, easy with that. That will freak you out, dude. That's that's going to be... It's going to be the greatest day of my it's life. It's going to be a joke for a long time. <laughs> want to talk about omega-3s for a minute because Omax 3 Ultra Pure, the purest omega-3 supplement on the market, contacted us about sponsoring Stacky Benjamins. And in case you're unaware... Omega-3 has been pushed as one of the healthiest supplements, but many have questioned whether the fact is too good to be true. Well, over 75% of Americans don't get enough omega-3s in their diet. Apparently, I was one of those people because the second I started taking the Omax-3 Ultra Pures, 
like the joint pain went away. So I guess I could have either eaten a pile of fish or, or taken my Omax Omega-3s. But anyway, over 75% of Americans don't get enough, and you're probably one of them like I was. So let me tell you why they're so important. They alleviate joint pain, inflammation, muscle soreness, and make you feel your best, especially post-workout. You and I both listened to an interview recently on the Tim Ferriss podcast with LeBron James, and all Mm -hmm. they talked about with LeBron and his coach, and I found this incredibly interesting, was recovery. Recovery, And I'm also reading about the Golden State Warriors. That's all that Seth Curry worries about. With the number of times he's been injured, always Mm -hmm. worried about post-workout recovery, because that makes the next, you know, the next workout go smoothly if your recovery goes well. They can also improve mood, focus, and memory, boost brain and cardiovascular health. Man, you could use that. Some brain boost plus Mm -hmm. more. And you're also, (laughs) you're also probably wondering what else makes Omax 3 different from other supplements? Omax 3 Ultra Pure, Ultra Pure is almost 94% pure omega-3 fatty acids. It's the purest concentration on the market. Leading store brands only contain about 30%. Omax has a patented EPA to DHA ration of four to one. I don't have any idea what that means. Do you know what EPA to DHA ration is? No. It sounds really important though. It 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 totally does. And I think people, there's somebody out there that goes, oh yeah, yeah, that's big. Specifically engineered for inflammation and joy pain, Omax Ultra Pure goes through an intense distillation process in Europe to remove saturated fats, toxins, and PCBS. So you're left with ultra pure omega-3 fatty acids. It's clinically tested, certified, and sustainably sourced. So it's safe for you and your family. So whether you're an athlete, student, busy parent, this is my favorite line in this whole thing, a gamer or a working professional. If you're a gamer. I had a hard night of Call of Duty last night. I got I got joint pain in both thumbs. Both thumbs and fingers. Man, I was slaying people. Or a working professional. Almost anyone can benefit from Omax 3 Ultra Pure. And best of all, you notice the positive effects within days. Seriously, uh, by the end of, I'm going to say maybe day two a little bit, but day three is when I when I really started to see it. Head to tryomax.com slash SB to get a box of Omax 3 Ultra Pure for free with your first purchase. That's tryomax.com slash SB and you'll get your free box of Omax 3 that's T-R-Y-O-M-A-X dot com slash SB. Terms and conditions apply. And I love this. Omax 3 comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee. So you got plenty of time to try it and you can feel the Omax difference. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, back with your thrilling trivia answer. I asked the question, one that I totally joked about earlier. I mean, who would have believed me on that? I was kidding. So my question was, what is EPS when companies report how much money they made? What? It's EPS? I bet you they say EPS. Like back in the office when they're just like shooting the shit, you know? I bet you they say EPS. That's probably what. Anyway, if you said extremely personal snacks, you totally bought my ruse earlier. Nah, it turns out, and Joe didn't just tell me this like a minute ago or anything, I already totally knew... It stands for earnings per share. When a company makes money, they divide it by the number of shares to give you this number. While you can't compare one company's EPS, uh, uh, I mean uh, EPS, to another, you can compare earning from quarter to quarter. And also, for seasonal companies like those in farming, 
you compare this quarter to the same quarter a year ago. Did you get it right? Well, we'll have Joe's mom make you some extra special brownies. See ya! Big thanks to Grant Sabatier for stopping by the basement. It is amazing how, when you set your mind to it, you can get the things in life that, that are really important to you. And Grant, uh, uh, man, Grant went through a few of them, didn't he? Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, OG, and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first. And by the way, we've uh, fired OG and we asked our friends in the basement two things that they value most. And Jennifer says it's earplugs and sleep, which uh, which I don't think... I don't think it gets better than that. It's the true answer, Jennifer, is your loved ones and your time. And of course, if you have earplugs and sleep, it makes the time with your loved ones that much better, doesn't it? It's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now and you'll get a free quote in seconds. Their application is simple and online you get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable, policies issued by Mass Mutual, more than 160 years old. You don't have to wait several weeks for a decision like you do at uh, most insurance companies. And today we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to our new friend, Cody. Say hi, Cody. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Cody. Uh, Thanks for uh, working so hard to make personal finance fun. Uh, My question comes to you today about uh, your thoughts on public service loan forgiveness. I currently have about 90000 that I'm expecting to be forgiven, paid off in five years. I've checked all the boxes to make sure I'm meeting every requirement, but I still don't fully trust the program. So my thought is that starting this year, I'm going to put roughly 18000 in a taxable account to try to save up that 90000 so that in five years, if something went wrong, I would at least have the money to, to pay it off in full. How do you feel about that plan? And do you think it's better served in a high yield savings versus a taxable? Let me know. Awesome question, Cody. Uh, Thanks for the question. Thanks for the kind words. What do you think, man? Doesn't fully trust it. Uh, I've, I've seen this in action before. You think you're eligible, think you checked all the boxes and then, oh, surprise, box C22, subparagraph D, you didn't meet. So guess what? We're not paying that. I think it's really smart and a really, really, really intelligent way to protect against the uh, unlikely event that the government doesn't adhere to its policies and procedures. I do know that the biggest risk that you face is kind of what you discussed at the very beginning, not keeping up with that throughout the years. I think every year you have to recertify that you're doing the tasks the right way, that you're still employed in an area that is uh, satisfactory. And, you know, every year you've got to send in some forms and I'm assuming that you're doing all that correctly. I did read an article, oh gosh, probably about six months ago now that the first tranche of people who are supposed to get this stuff forgiven has come and gone and something like only 2% of the people made it work. So I think it's really incumbent on you to stay on the process. And it sounds like you're doing that. The idea of setting the money aside is also super responsible because like you said, if all of a sudden they come up and say, psych, just kidding, we're going to charge you anyway. Gosh, I think it's such a great idea to have that money set aside in advance. So where you put it, I think is kind of immaterial. If you put it in an investment account or you put it in a uh, savings account, the time frame is about, you think you said about four years. So 
so it's kind of 50-50 whether or not that's a long enough time frame for a, for a investment portfolio. I'm a little bit more risky. Personally, I would probably put it in a, an investment account and just be okay with the fact that if it does blow up in my face and the market's down 20%, I might only have 70000 instead of the 90000 to throw at the thing. But if you're a little bit more risk adverse and you want the guarantee of the money being there, go ahead and put it in the savings account. But for me, I'll take the risk and say, you know, two bad things have to happen for this to blow up in my face. One, they have to back away from the payoff plan in four years and the market has to go down a whole bunch. So, you know, while it would suck if both those things happened, it's, you know, not the end of the world. So I would probably put it in a diversified portfolio and get a four year head start on my investment plan. Yeah, especially if you think there's a 85-90% chance that it's not going to happen. I mean, this is probability risk management, uh, classic risk management uh, scenario. And so I think about taking advantage of this OG from another perspective. I like the idea of make this money work for you in other ways. I mean, I see people all the time that jack up their deductibles, and that's the amount you're going to pay if you have an accident, like a problem with your house on your homeowner's insurance or on your uh, car with your auto insurance, and they jack up their deductibles because they don't have the money for the proper insurance, those people shouldn't be doing it. But somebody like you, if you're hanging on to all this extra money for something that probably won't happen, but it's a contingency plan, I might raise my deductibles. Now, remember, that's the part that you're going to pay if something bad happens. So think about where you live, your expectation of a catastrophe hitting but I might, you know, do some self-insurance things too, which will decrease expenses for you because you have this money sitting aside that you didn't have sitting there before that could could be used to cover. Yeah, some next level, next level thinking there. That type of stuff. You were looking at me kind of like, what? Yeah, I've just seen where you're going with it. Yeah. I was actually going the opposite way, which was even if you don't raise the interest rate on the money, use this money in ancillary ways to make money mm-hmm. for you. Which yeah. is become your own insurance company. Like 201. I just answered the 101 question. You're like, watch this. You put a little bam on it. Stay close, grasshopper. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> wax on, wax off. Uh, that's good. Thanks for the question, Cody. We also get uh, letters down here in the basement. And uh, Colin wrote us a note. Colin says, hey, Joe, an original gangsta. I have kind of a long, drawn-out question. A little about me. I'm 28. Married, a Libra. No, I'm kidding. He didn't say in a Libra, but that would be pretty good, wouldn't it? We should have people that write us a letter. They have to put their zodiac sign in the letter. Oh boy. I'm 28, married, a Virgo. I like walks on the beach. Uh, no, back to Colin stuff. 28, married in the army with a net worth of about $450,000. So about 200000 that my financial advisor manages. And last year, he kind of talked to me about maybe making it into an advisory account to diversify the account more. Last year, I kind of blew it off, but I have a meeting with him soon. So I'm kind of weighing my options. So far, he's got me mostly in stocks at the breakdown of 50% large cap, 1% mid cap, 0.6% small cap, 20% international, 27% fixed income, and 0.6% in cash, which I've made a good chunk of money through all these golden years. The reason why I'm reaching out is with the impending doom that is the next recession, would it be wise of me to break up the money that are in stocks and go with the advisory account? My goal with this money is super long-term, 20 to 30 years out. So I know eventually after the recession, 
Markets will bounce back, but just wanted to get your take on what your recommendation is. I've been listening to the show for about two years, and thanks to you guys, you've really opened up my eyes to the financial future of me and my family. Thanks for all you do. Well, thanks for your service, Colin. Let's talk about meeting with his advisor, OG. I want to clarify a couple of things first. I think that the transition that the investment person is talking about has little to do with the allocation and more to do with how they're paid. It's probably in a commission type of account right now where maybe you've paid a commission for the, you know, for the transactions or whatever the case may be. And now the financial person is saying, hey, I've already made all the money I can make on this as a commission account. I would like to move it into a fee-based account. So you'll pay me you know, a flat 1% or whatever, 2% a year, and then we can make all the trades we want without any additional costs. I think that's really, and you kind of seek to clarify that, but I, but I think that's kind of where it is. Not so much, hey, I think this advisory account needs to be reallocated because of the impending recession, which is a separate issue altogether. There is not a single person on this planet who knows when the next recession is going to happen. And there are fewer people, that means less than zero, who can also accurately time the top of the stock market and the bottom of the stock market. I would submit to you that on Christmas Eve last year, I really find it hard to believe that there would be a lot of people out there going, you know, what would be a great idea right now? We should take all of our money and dump it in the stock market today. <laughs> because <laughs> that's it's awesome. such a, uh, I've just witnessed the market go down 14% in the last, I don't know, 12 weeks. You know what? It's Christmas. Let's dump our, in fact, let's dump more money in the market than we ever had. Let's leverage it. Let's go on margin. Let's take a HELOC out of our house, put it in. Well, if there are so many people out there who could accurately time the ups and downs of the stock market, there would have been people doing that. And you'd hear about them today talking about how they're up 17% since Christmas Eve. But the reality is, is that nobody can time that stuff. So if you can't time it in really short increments, you sure as hell can't time it in long term. So my question always is, when will you know that your portfolio is down 20%? When it's down 20%, when it's already happened is when you figure this out. So trying to predict when it happens in advance is a fool's errand, and you're going to lose more money trying to figure that out than, than just letting it be. So from an allocation standpoint, no, I don't think that you change your allocation at all based on the, quote, impending recession, whatever in God's name that means, because I'm not sure that anybody knows when the impending recession is going to be. So if you've got a 30-year time horizon, keep your allocation the same. Take the opportunity of the ups and downs of the market to continue to invest, which I assume that you're doing right now. You're putting money in every single month and just let it be. So the kind of two separate things here. One is do you want to continue to pay your stockbroker and move it into a fee-based account, which is probably what they're talking about here. And there's some pros and cons to it. So hear them out. Find out why they're talking about that. And then secondly, do you want to change your allocation? And I would say not for any reason that you talked about. I mean, if your goals are still 30 years away, then who gives a crap what the market does over the next 12 months? Yeah, we've heard nothing about how the allocation would change inside of the advisory account or if it would change and why why it would change. Those are super important questions to ask. Like what would change about any of that stuff if I changed it? Or is it just changing the way that we work together, the way that, the way that I- uh, Which is what I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's that, or it's some sort of like managed program where, you know, there may be a little bit more trading or something like that, but a little bit more 
quote professional trading or something. Well, but uh, it, it might not be OG. I was just thinking it might not even be the number of trades. It might be that the advisor has set platforms that they work with uh, people with similar outlooks and similar risk tolerances and time frames, and so it makes it so that he's going to have his uh, money better shepherded by the money shepherd, you know, instead of being a yeah, one-off where he has to look at that one thing. Now, every single time that X portfolio changes, he gets to change along with everybody else. Yeah. There's a lot of good reasons to do it. There's, there's some not so great reasons, but I think the, I think the question that, that we're talking about here are two separate and distinct things. One is tell me about the impact to our relationship by changing the, the account. And then secondly, will this also change the allocation? You know, based on your needs, the account change may make sense, but an allocation change may not. So um, you can clarify that. Thanks for the question, Colin. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. That's how you get to the Haven Lifeline. And of course, everybody who calls the Haven Lifeline as a thank you, we send you our greatest money show on earth uh, t-shirt, which is such a such a fun shirt. Brad Lark makes that shirt and uh, lots of other fun swag for us. That's going to do it for today, OG. We did it. Another hump day in the books. All righty. Lastly, if you're somebody that needs good financial planning help in your corner, OG and his firm are taking new clients. So head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash letter O G, the letters O and G. So that's stackingbenjamins.com forward slash O G. That'll be your first step to talking to them about what it would take to have their team in your corner. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have actually learned today? So what did we learn today? First, take some advice from Grant Sabatier. Don't like your current station in life? Change it. The formula is super simple. I mean, you just make more money, bury the money, Oh, no, oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. That's right. He said, uh, make more money, bury expenses, and you too can be financially independent quicker than you thought possible. But don't get me wrong. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. But as Joe's mom always says, why bake cookies if you can't eat them all by noon? I know. Sorry. That's got nothing to do with today's message. Moving along. Second, we learned from J.J. Kinahan that financial independence is as much about investing as it is about saving. Don't sabotage your success saving money with bad investing habits. But the big lesson? Don't tell Grant Sabatier that mom's making chicken and waffles for dinner. That guy will not leave now. He's like bad luggage. You can't get rid of him. Seriously, Grant, I know you had a chapter about how to save bunches of money by living on other people's couches, but dude, you're a millionaire. Get out! Special thanks to Grant Sabatier for joining us today. You'll find links to his book, Financial Freedom, in our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Hey, don't forget, Stacking Benjamin supports independent booksellers. And if you want to support us while we uh, you know, support them, use our link to purchase Grant's book from Powell's Independent Bookstore at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Powell's. Want the Amazon link? Oh, we got you covered there, too. Just go to the show notes page and at stackingbenjamins.com. You know this already. Just go there, click the link. It'll work. You'll help us out either way. 
thanks to J.J. Kinahan for hanging out with us today. You'll find lots of tools to learn about some successful investing tips at tdameritrade.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. going to make espresso. Welcome to the After Show. OG just saw this movie that's been out for maybe, I'm going to say... What a while. Six months, eight months? Just over a year. This trailer's from 12-19-2017, so I think it's just out for over a year. This is uh, Ocean's 8. Good afternoon, Miss Ocean. As you know, parole is a privilege. It's a mistake, uh, but it, it happened. And... Um, if I were to be released, I would, um, <clears throat> I would just want the simple life. I just want to hold down a job, make some friends, you know, pay my bills. Even if this was possible, you'd need 20 people. Seven people. Why do you need to do this? Because it's what I'm good at. Take you to make seven pieces of jewelry. Five or six hours? How long if I told you you didn't have to live with your mother anymore? You sleep tomorrow, Pasco, and put you in a year. Less. So I see Sandra Bullock as uh, Debbie Ocean, Kate Blanchett. Anne Hathaway is in this movie. Mindy Kaling is here. Also, Rihanna, Helena Bonham Carter has kind of a hilarious role as a really bad fashion designer. Uh, where'd you see this one? On a plane? Yeah, I watched it on a plane. Also, uh, Mrs. OG and I watched it for an uh, evening. I saw this last year, and I don't know that we ever talked about What'd it you think? after I saw it. Uh, I don't think so. So let's tell everybody what's going on first, is that Debbie Ocean is Danny Ocean's sister, I think. Yeah, is, looks like it. She plays uh, the sister of George Clooney, who, of course did the other Oceans movies before this, or I guess we could go even further back and talk about the original Ocean movie. But anyway, so she's a sister, the sister of Danny Ocean. She's just getting out of 
out of the jail. And then she finds out that uh, there's a big piece of jewelry that's going to be coming to New York City. And they decide that they're going to uh, they're going to steal it. And so the whole movie revolves around their plan to try to get this uh, get this piece of jewelry stolen. Debbie Ocean, a.k.a. Sandra Bullock, goes on this quest at the beginning of the movie to find all of these people to be on her team. And then they practice uh, the heist mm-hmm. and then they finally pull it off. And of course, like any of the ocean movies, there's a few twists in how they pull it off that they don't tell you. So you're kind of in suspense a little bit until until the end. What'd you think? I thought it was pretty formulaic and awfully damn boring. That, that, <laughs> was, that was that was my my thought. I didn't I didn't love it. I noticed the IMDB is a six out of ten. I think that's yeah. where I'd put it. I sat and watched it and blew two hours. And uh, at the end of it, I thought, well, it wasn't so bad as, well, that's two hours of my life. I won't get back. It wasn't that bad, but it was awfully damn close. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt also. Nothing else to do on a Saturday afternoon. Throw it on HBO and, you know, it's got neat little twists and turns, just like all the Oceans movies do. But I can't recommend that somebody goes and seeks it out. I wouldn't necessarily go try to find it. Yeah, you know, to to watch. Yeah, I saw it on an airplane. I think this might have been one of the Ask OG Facebook uh, events where it was just kind of on. You know, yeah, had my and headphones it, on, and, and it probably looks entertaining if you're not paying a lot of attention to it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of was. I thought it was kind of entertaining. I, I like you said, I'd give it a six on a on a one to ten scale. Something that you can throw on, something that you can quasi have in the background. Maybe if you pay attention, you're like, okay, that's cute. I see this cast of characters, though. Helena Bottom Carter, Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Anne Hathaway, Mindy Kaling, Rihanna. I think that this movie's going to be kind of funny. Acting's going to be really good. I didn't believe Kate Blanchett's character for a second. Like, not for just the way she was dressed the whole time. I'm like, oh, but that's Kate Blanchett dressed all funky <laughs> and yeah. kind of talking weird. I didn't mind it. I think the best part was the very beginning. The very beginning was incredibly funny. And the movie yeah. was a slide downhill from the beginning. It makes a <laughs> bunch it makes a bunch of promises it just can't keep. <laughs> like the very beginning is like, oh that's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, I really like that's funny. Okay. Yes. That's interesting. And then and I then wait after for that, more. It's like, I wait for yeah. more and it never comes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, and not this bad. I thought that the I thought the end I thought the end where they're pull where they're doing the heist was yeah, it's, that's, well, that's always the good part, you know, the setup and then, and then how they do it. Yeah, kind of uh, edge of their edge of your seat a little bit there at the end. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, Ocean's Eight. How about that? We pulled one out of the archives for you guys. Ocean's Eight. Don't go seek it out. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shoutouts to all of our friends who have served in the military and let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend og who spent time in the military of course we know what a giver he is even when he pretends like he's being uh, mr surly navy federal offers member only exclusive rates discounts and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals visit navyfederal.org celebrate and you'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. 
take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.